Well, this morning we're going to continue our sermon series through the book of Nehemiah. This summer it's kind of been segmented uh, the last several weeks, uh, but we are going to uh, begin today uh, in chapter 12. We left off at chapter 9. Uh, if you'd like to figure out what happens, I encourage you to read chapters 10 and 11 uh, when you head home. But as we head into God's Word, why don't we take a moment to pray together. Dear Lord, I thank you for the opportunity for us to, week by week, uh, continue to be shaped and formed by your Word. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would continue to do that in my life and in all our lives as we hear your word today, that we would be uh, transformed more and more into the image of Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Uh-oh. The danger of using technology. All right. I want you to think about the last couple weeks. Actually, really last week or maybe a weekend ago, there were a lot of parents and kids alike getting ready. A lot of teachers and paraprofessionals and secretaries of schools, administrators getting ready for what was to come. And you saw evidence of it. Uh, If you happen to go to some type of store and walk through the school supply section, you would have seen the evidence of all the preparation. As as you walked through, you would see shelves that were barren, desolate, that somehow they had, you know, hand sanitizer and wipes. They had, you know, notebooks and folders and, and binders and all these things. They had glue and so on. Uh, at one time, because it wasn't all there anymore, the parents and maybe the teachers already grabbed what they needed. The parents, too, were getting their kids ready. We were gone camping with the church, and we got back on Sunday, and we realized we had not yet packed any of the kids' backpacks. And so we did the prudent thing and said, let's just do it tomorrow morning. So we're, we're running around, get every, everything ready, realizing we don't have everything we need. You know, parents work to make sure all the kids were ready, all that stuff, but then there's the make sure they have the new shoes and make sure they have the perfect first day of school clothing. Make sure they have the, the haircuts or their, their hair combed and in each place. And then came the day that they dropped their kids off at school. And I don't know if you heard it. I thought I heard it throughout the whole city. It was this collective sigh of relief. This collective sigh of relief. We made it. Everyone's in school. Everyone's in the place that they need to be. For parents, it was perhaps a celebration that the summer was over. For teachers, maybe the sound was just a little bit of weeping and mourning that their summer was gone. But the last several weeks, we were leading up to it for the staff. We have lots of children, and we were super glad about it. But the thing that I was thinking about is that whenever you have a celebration, there always seems to be 
a lot of work that goes into it beforehand. All the getting the supplies, getting the kids ready, and, and all that stuff. But if you think about other celebrations as well, weddings, if, if anyone remembers what a wedding was like, whether it was yours or one you helped out with, it's not just the day, is it? It's not just that Saturday or now Friday night or Sunday that people gather to celebrate, but there's so much work and preparation that has to happen beforehand. You know, you got to find out what your cake's going to be like. You got you to go through the hard work of taste-testing cake and taste-testing food to make sure that the things you serve are, are the best for, for your people. You got color choices, dress shopping, party favors, seating arrangements, guest lists, arguments about who's going to be in the wedding party. Is nine people on side too much? But, you know, I got to include my buddy Nathan. He's got to be in there. All these things that lead up to that one day of celebration. And it's not even a whole day. We can think of other times, too. It doesn't have to be a big event like, like weddings. It could be a celebration that's at your home, and, and you think, well, all right. Uh, well, I can't have this celebration without wiping down the baseboard and, and cleaning and vacuuming underneath my my bed, because who knows if someone's going to end up going up there, and oh, there's that, that stain on the ceiling from the kids. They somehow got toothpaste up there. I got to take care of that. All these things that you have to take care of beforehand, before you get to the celebration. And I think that's a little bit of what we're going to experience today. All the work, remembering all the work that Nehemiah and the people in Jerusalem did before they went and celebrated to the Lord and dedicated the work that they had to God. They had spent tons of energy. And now they get to stand back and, and gaze, perhaps, on the walls that they put up. Maybe they stood back, and here's some pictures of, of their wall, and they said, you know, I remember I put that stone there. Look at all that work that we did. And, and they, they marveled, and they stepped back, and they said, wow, look at that. And, and to be honest, not all of this is actually from the right era. If, if, if you go about the third of the way up, from there on, it's been fixed. So you can see how the stone has, has gotten a little bit more square-shaped, and it wasn't just uh, kind of stones that they found on the ground. But they, they looked back, and, and they saw the handmade doors that they took care of. They, they looked back and saw the expanse of walls that they created to surround their city. And it had come time, it had come time for them to, to dedicate those walls, those walls that they built in 52 days amidst many, uh, many forms of opposition. So let's head to Nehemiah chapter 12 to grab uh, I think a black Bible in front of you. It should be page 393. Uh, students, if you have a Bible with you, it should be page 580. We're going to start at verse 27, and we're just going to go to verse 30. It's going to be short, and then we're going to skip on to verse 43. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully 
the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals and harps and lyres. The musicians also were brought together from the region around Jerusalem, from the village of Nathopolis. Now, man, I practiced this one a bunch of times, and, and I still didn't get it. We're not all perfect. From that village, uh, from Bethel, Gilgal, from the area of Geba and Asmareth, for the musicians had built villages for themselves around Jerusalem. When the priests had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people, the gates, and the walls. And we'll skip ahead to verse 43. And on that day they offered great sacrificing, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of the rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. Now that, that all that work was done, now that all that preparation had been taken care of, it was time for them. They had already kind of dedicated themselves to the Lord and renewed their covenant with God, but, but they went and took it one step further and dedicated the work of their hands, the, the things that they had taken care of to God for them to, to worship Him, to offer sacrifices, to get, dedicate the very wood and the rocks that were put together for God's glory. We actually see that earlier in Nehemiah. I'm not expecting you to remember it, but we hear about how the priests worked on a certain area of the walls and the gate. It was actually the sheep gate. And they, at that time, as they were working on it, as they were finishing it, they took the opportunity to dedicate that to the Lord right away. And now they're going to go through all the gates, all the walls, and dedicate everything to the Lord. Dedicating the very structures themselves. You know, this might seem kind of foreign, but I don't actually think it's quite as foreign as maybe we think. Has anyone ever seen like a boat christening, right? We're christening or dedicating a boat, right? Uh, has anyone ever, you know, dedicated or had like a housewarming party when someone moves into a, a new house or a new neighborhood, all the, the friends gather? It's like this, this dedication of the property, so thankful to the Lord perhaps that, that there's this new home, and it's all about a, a building, and that's kind of what we see here is we see, we see the people recognizing everything as a gift from God and that the Lord was truly faithful with them in the building of all these walls, that the Lord was faithful with them amidst all the oppositions of the, the surrounding nations, the people that wanted to see them fail. And so now they're, they're going to assemble all the priests and the Levites and and the musicians that gathered uh, in their own little cities, their own little areas, to, to bring them together. Now, if we would have read the first part of chapter 12, it would have been a likely a list of names that I would have struggled with. But these, these lists of names, they're, they're not just there for no purpose. Anytime you find a list of names, it, it always has a purpose in Scripture. And, and here... The interesting thing about this list of names, and, and you find out from this list of names that 
the book of Nehemiah was written likely after Nehemiah, at least a hundred years after Nehemiah, because the list of names stretches a hundred years in the past from the time of Nehemiah, sharing the names of the different priests and Levites, and then it continues on to actually a hundred years after the time of Nehemiah to show the people who were reading this at the time that the Lord the Lord remained faithful before, and now the Lord is going to continue to remain faithful after this dedication, after they had committed themselves back to the covenant. The Lord will continue to remain faithful because that is what He does. And so they gather these people, and we find out that when everyone was gathered together, Uh, It's not going there. If you want to go to the next slide, it says they purified themselves ceremonially. They purified the people and the gates and the walls. How many of you have ritual purification practices? Okay. How many of you wash your hands before you eat? Okay. Right, so ritual purification, it doesn't think... We don't think in those terms, but there are maybe certain practices that we, we generally do for, for general cleanliness, right? I, I showered this morning, right? I shave at least this little part of my cheeks, right? I, I wash my hands before I eat, right? There's these little things that we do to keep clean. And, and there were things that that the Lord had instructed the priests and the Levites to do before they approached God. And it was, was these practices of purifying themselves, recognizing that, that God cannot have something that is unholy approach him so that they needed to purify themselves beforehand so that then they could approach God. And, and that was a variety of things. Sometimes it was bathing. Sometimes it was fasting. It, 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 it varies, but we see that the priests took the time to, to ceremonially purify themselves, to, to cleanse themselves of, of all the ways that, uh, from the last time they did it, that they had fallen short of the law that God had given them, how they had, had not followed the law to the, to the perfect T or to the dotted I, and, and they, they purify themselves. And they recognize that they're not the only ones who need to be purified. It's, it's, it's all the people of Israel that need to be purified. They need to be purified perhaps of all the things that they had confessed in earlier chapters, all the ways that they had not followed God or that their ancestors had, had not followed. That way they could, they could come before the Lord. But then they purify the, the gates and the walls. They go as, as far to, to purify the, the thing that they want to dedicate to the Lord. And what follows, if we would, would read in between, is there's this beautiful ceremony of, of two choirs and people processing around the city in different directions and, and declaring God's glory and dedicating all of these walls, all those stones, all the pieces of wood, all the gates to the Lord as is like an offering to him of the work that they have, he has done in their life. And then they went beyond that 
It says in verse 43 that we had read, they, they went and they offered more sacrifices, and there was this great joy, and the women and children rejoiced, and, and there was this great rejoicing. There was so much rejoicing that you could actually hear it in the surrounding communities around Jerusalem. The Israelite people are breaking the noise ordinance, so to speak, right? They're, they're announcing to the nations that surrounded them that, that had once opposed them in the work that they were doing. They were saying, the Lord is gracious and compassionate. The Lord is faithful. And we did this thing amidst, amidst your oppression, amidst your desire for us not to do this. And you could say, as, we, as we've journeyed through these, these 12 chapters, we heard that earlier on, Ezra, they had rebuilt the temple, right? And then they had kind of not done anything. But then Nehemiah comes, and, and they rebuilt the walls. And then, and then we saw how they, they rebuilt and restored their hearts as they, they heard the word of God. And, and they heard about how they should be living in the process, they, they rebuilt homes, and, and now they had been purified from everything that had caused them and their soul perhaps to be stained. But I'm sure, I'm sure we're kind of like the Israelites too. At some point, there might be some reason that we need to be purified and cleansed. Not just talking about you worked in the garden or you need to wash, you know, your hands before you eat or, you know, you slipped into mud and you want to wash your body. But I, I wonder if there's other things, too, that at times we need to be purified or, or cleansed from. Practical example from roughly almost exactly a week ago. Emily and I were driving home from the church camp out. And we have a 12-passenger van and a travel trailer behind it. And we're driving home, and I got the whole family in there, uh, including the dog. And, and we're going, and we get to the S-curve, uh, my favorite thing to drive through with a trailer. And we get through the S-curve, and, and we're going, and we're, we're trying to continue to go the speed limit or whatever, 55 or 60. And, and as I'm driving, there. There's two cars that are in the left lane next to me, and one of them is a little further ahead, and this other car somehow thinks he can manage to squeeze through the front of my van in the back of this other car. And I swear, this guy had to be inches away, and I laid on the horn, and I probably thought things in my mind. The kids were with me. I probably thought things in my mind that I maybe needed to be purified from. Because I was thinking, here I got all my family, all my kids in the car. I'm, I'm pulling this trailer, and, and you don't care enough about me and my family? You put myself at risk? What are you doing here, dude? Right? It sometimes are those simple things. Those simple things that happen that maybe they just happen in our heads. Anybody, anyone think things in their heads? Please let it not just be me. All right. Good. Um, I think maybe if we really, really think about it, it might be easier to come up with a list of things that we don't need to be purified from 
instead of coming up with a list of stuff that maybe we need to be cleansed from. You know, we can realize that we wouldn't be able to purify ourselves or cleanse ourselves on our own, even if we were needing to do some ritual purification. It'd be like a daily practice, wouldn't it? I wonder, do, do we need to be cleansed from, like my example, Yanger and the frustration that happens in certain different moments in our life. We talked about that earlier in our time of confession. Maybe do we need to be cleansed from a hatred of something in our life? Maybe do we, do we desire to be cleansed from anxiety that we experience when, when something new is happening? Or, or maybe it's we need to be we need to have our world cleansed of depression and, and, and mental illness that people experience that is so debilitating to their life. Do we need to be, do we need to be cleansed with, if we think back in, in history, but even into today, do we need to be cleansed, cleansed by a history of animosity between people? where people can't see others in the image of God, where they somehow cloak something over it and see people as less than? Do we need to be cleansed by our, from our initial reactions? I find that sometimes uh, my initial reaction is to think the worst of people rather than thinking the best about someone's intentions. Where are those, those things that, that we need to be cleansed from? I'm sure there's others. It's not an exhaustive list. But I think with, with so many things to be cleansed from, I'm wondering, how could you ever put in the work to, to live a life that is completely pure, where you don't need cleansing? And I think that's where we see the Lord's grace here. We, we saw how the priests and the Levites, they had to do the work of purifying, and they, they did it all the time. Purifying themselves to approach God. Purifying themselves before they gave sacrifices. And here they, they purified the people and purified the gates and, and purified the walls. With so many things that we could be purified from in our life. It's hard to imagine that anyone could live that way, but the benefit is that our, our Bible doesn't end with the Old Testament, does it? It, it continues on into the New Testament, so we can, we can look at every piece of Scripture and how it points to who Jesus was and what he came to do. And we can, can see how, how the, the people of Israel were purified and how it was... Jesus' purpose in life to, to come into the world to pave a new way that didn't result in individuals having to do the immense work all the time of purifying themselves, that the whole work of salvation just relied on you and yourself and your own strength, but, but now instead, the work of salvation was going to rely on on Christ because it was him who he came into this world it's this it's the same exact world that we live in today probably 
the same exact world where people experienced maybe anxiety or depression. People experienced anger and hatred. We, we read about how, how there's a, a dividing wall of hostility between people and how, how they didn't see some people in the image of God. And, and Jesus came into this world in a way that He would live in a way that we could never do on our own and provide a cleansing that we could never provide for ourselves as well. He took all of the ways that he in, encountered the sin-stained world upon himself when he, when he went to the cross, right? And it was through his blood and through his resurrection that as he rose, he gave an opportunity for each of us, those who believe in Christ and his death and resurrection and his coming again, that we would be cleansed from all unrighteousness. Not just for a small period of time where, you know, he did it for this week, but, you know, you have to come back next week for you to be purified again. No, that's not the way it works. He he came into your life and he purified you once and for all. Just one time. So that we would experience the joy of all that work that he did. We wouldn't have to do any of the work, and yet we would experience the joy. The Israelites, they had to do all the work to experience the joy. But, but for us, it's this gift that God gives us. And, and he chose to do it. And, and I think we can hear the sound, just like the nations around Jerusalem heard the sound of the joy to the Lord. We can hear it around the world. Jesus did it so that there would be joy throughout all the cities, that there would be Joy in the communities, if you go to the New Testament, in Corinth, in Ephesus, in Galatia. And, and, and maybe he knew that there was going to be joy, some future joy that would be experienced in, the, in Rome. And, and maybe he knew too that, that beyond that there was going to be, be some, some joy experienced in like Cairo, and in Nairobi, in, in all different places. Maybe, maybe he knew that because of all his work that there would be joy other places. There would be joy in the underground churches in China that would extend into India and, and Myanmar, South Africa. I think if you listen, you can hear the joy or maybe you can see evidence of the joy. Emily and I live basically right on the other side of that stained glass window. Um, and we have a church that worships, worships here in the afternoon, uh, the Chin Church, uh, refugees from Myanmar, Chin province. And, and Emily and I and our neighbors can hear the joy of the Lord. <laughs> um, when I first went to one of their services, I said, this is not what I was expecting. <laughs> I can hear the bass guitar and the drums, and even, even one of my neighbors down the, the street's like, man, they're having a party in there. The joy of the Lord 
do we ever take time to, to try to listen and, and hear that joy of the Lord? Those areas where we see Jesus and his purifying work at work within his people, and it doesn't, have, it doesn't limit it to, to this room. Where is it amidst our life that we can witness the purifying work of Christ in people, in, in co-workers, in family members, in kids? I think the beautiful thing about Jesus' purifying work, just like the work of the priests, is that he doesn't stop with people. Jesus worked to purify people, but he's not going to stop there. He's going to move on to the walls and the gates as well, so to speak. We, we hear in the book of Revelation, I believe it's uh, chapter 21, verse 5, where Jesus will say, and he said to John, Behold, I am making all things new. There's words in there about this, this new city of Jerusalem that's going to come down from heaven and how there will be nothing that is impure that ever enters it ever again. When the Lord works to make all things new, when the Lord works to to make everything new that we experience here on earth, there will be no more need of purification because, well, Jesus cleansing and purifying He'll purify debt. He'll purify anger, animosity, and hatred. He'll purify not only depression, but also the anxiety that we have perhaps experience. His purification will, will remove addiction that plagues individuals. He will remove mourning and tears from our eyes. His, his purification will remove floodings and disasters. It will remove droughts and lack of food. His purification will fill the stomachs of the hungry that can't find enough food to eat. It will quench the thirst of those who are unable to find clean water. And I think his his purification will provide a greater security than the walls and the gates did for the people of Israel. His purification will provide a greater security than the the modern nation's uh, military forces. Because his purification won't just be for a time, right? We hear uh, nations rise and they fall. I'm sure the Roman uh, Empire never thought that they would not really be what they once were. But Jesus... His security is eternal, stretching as far as we can imagine. You know, as beautiful as, as that picture of him coming and beginning to purify everything is, we know that it hasn't happened yet. And, and that's where Jesus says that we come into play. Essentially saying that we are a kingdom of priests. Maybe not a word that I'd use to describe myself, but we're individuals that, that if we have been purified by Christ, 
we are going to live in a way dedicating ourselves, uh, the walls of our home, everything that we have to Christ. And, and we're going to be working in a way to see Jesus and his purification be experienced by, by our neighbors, by our friends, by our coworkers, by, by those whom we love. Where, where we would not only personally and independently put our trust in Christ, but that it would be evident by the way that we live and the fruit of the Spirit that we live out. The love, the joy, the peace, the patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and mercy. Where we would experience the cleansing not just internally, but people would see it externally. Would you join with me, just like the Israelites did in dedicating themselves and everything that they had to the Lord? Would you join me in in dedicating yourself and everything that that the Lord has given to you to him? That, That by your living, there would be this witness that would go throughout all the neighborhoods and all the places that you frequent, that Christ's power is at work in you, cleansing you and your behavior, even even cleansing the thoughts that are in your mind when that guy cuts you off while you're pulling your trailer. Recognizing that God's cleansing work is this never-ending process where we're partnering with the Spirit in our life, that we're never going to have to have it perfect, and that's okay. But it's a life where if we dedicate ourselves to the Lord, we'll see. We'll look at each other and recognize and be able to see how the Lord has been working in each and every one of our lives. How he's been been plucking that impurity from within our hearts and our minds and replacing it with a desire to follow him more and more. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, we thank you that we aren't saved by our work because, well, we would never get there. We thank you that we are saved by the work of Christ and by the power of the Spirit cleansing our lives. Our prayer is that you walk with us each and every day, that we could become more and more like Jesus the perfect image that you've placed before us, an example of of how to live for you, an example of how to love our neighbors and even how to lead people to you as well. It's in Christ's name that we pray through the power of the Spirit. Amen.